I've spoke to many people that listen to my podcast, a Danny Vaughn out of West Virginia, a Kevin Mears out of Ohio that's up in the control room right now currently. Uh, and everybody, there was no internet. I mean, I, I, I understand that if you're under the age of 40, you just, I personally can't even envision an era that there wasn't an internet, but darn sure in the eighties and nineties and two thousands, if you wanted to know about the most recent show winner, or if you wanted to know about those hot button topics or, you know, industry changing items, you had to get a subscription to the National Livestock Exhibitor. So uh, when I was uh, about 14 years old, I had just won uh, our county fair a couple of times and had in the back of my mind that it would, I wish there was a publication that could give tips and and uh, on fitting and showing cattle. Yep. When I when I got just briefly, uh, Elton, I, I just I want to put this in perspective. I know that it's a silly thing to say, but you say you won the county fair two times, and by my math, that makes it 1945. So the World War II is just getting over with. It's amazing just to put that in perspective on who I'm talking to today. Your knowledge and history is amazing unlike any other guests I've had to this point. So continue on. Later when I started to show on a state and national level and was successful, yep. I put uh, I put a small ad in the Drover's Journal that I was going to start the, a show pub steer show publication. Subscription cost would be a year. And when I got $1,000 in in subscriptions in, why, I started the first publication. And it was successful from the start. I can remember two of the people that were instrumental in kicking it off, and that was Nolan Flesner and Bobby May. And they were well-known through the industry and and because of they advertised in the magazine, why it encouraged other people to cool. uh, to uh, advertise, and they were and they had been good good uh, customers and ever since. I mean, just to put that in perspective, once again, just for anybody that doesn't know, Nolan Fleshner and Bob May, they would be like Michael Jordan or Tom Brady advertising, being on the cover of a Wheaties cereal box. Uh, whenever they spent some money with the National Livestock Exhibitor, it kind of made it trendy and cool, and I assume that other people uh, in the industry wanted to stay up to their level and, and went and came to you and wanted to start advertising with you as well. Yes, it, it was a deal that people want to follow someone who is successful and be in co- company with them. I, I, I really miss the magazine. Uh, and, and oh, I I'm sure you thing. do. Sim- simply because it it kept me in the middle of things. Well, the magazine was, was very a- influential in a number of ways. I mean, you had articles. I mean, you did. Of course, you did advertisement. I mean, people paid to advertise. That's what kept it going, or keeps any magazine going. But you had articles in there that were educational, informative, and then 
you had your own opinions in there that you know you were you had all the right in the world to express it but 99% of the time those opinions made a difference you know what i'm saying i mean just like those sale results from each state fair I remember reading those things religiously, and and I'm hearing the people involved in the fairs saying, you know, we got to do this, we got to, you know, so and so's out, what this state's out selling us. So it, it had a positive impact, regardless of how you look at it. I I always considered Illinois a purebred feedstock state. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and as you go west, I, it was more of a commercial. Yeah, absolutely. Commercial mm-hmm. cattle. We'll see what he gets me. Uh, I know the ones I've done with him so far. I've done a couple other podcasts with him. And uh, you'd be surprised how many people listen to them things. Because I've had people call me and text me and say how much they enjoyed this or that. He'll get the educational, the positive sides of it. And, and that's what he'll use. Or that's what he's been doing. So. Okay, boys, I just was a little bit late. I'm logged in. Let's get this rolling to start Elvin Miller's interview off. Or we're going to play the 1972 New York Times article that was written about Elvin Steer that won Denver. That was a Charlet that was dyed black that won the show. Uh, Just giving a historical perspective for those that hadn't listened to the Memorial Day episode back on May 31st. So here we go, and let's get this rolling. Burr Colby, you're up. All right, the Denver's champion Black Angus is found white at the root. This was in the New York Times on February 27, 1972. It is downright embarrassing. Big Mac, the 1972 grand champion steer of Denver's prestigious National Western Stock Show, may be fake. The animal himself is real. He's about 1,200 pounds of beef residing temporarily in a barn in suburban Littleton and chewing his way through 30 pounds of grain a day while state and stock show officials try to figure out what happened. The problem is that Big Mac, winner of two major prizes at the stock show in January, was certified as an Angus steer raised in Iowa and shown in Denver for the first time. Now it appears that he is not a black Angus at all but instead a black-dyed white Charlet named Jeep. Jeep was raised in Colorado and has been shown at a number of other shows. With a name like Big Mac, the steer drew the attention of several owners of McDonald's hamburger stands in Colorado. The chain features a hamburger called the Big Mac. In spirited bidding with Denver's Brown Palace Hotel, the McDonald's owners won the animal for $11.40 a pound, or $14,250 the highest price ever paid in the stock show's 66-year history. But the Colorado Board of Stock Inspection is holding up the money awarded to Rex Miller, 16-year-old son of Mr. and Mrs. Eldon Miller of Alta, Iowa, until the matter of Big Mac's identity is settled. It was the young Miller who showed the animal at the National Western. Charlet is a Swiss cattle breed recently gaining wide acceptance among Western cattlemen, but not accepted for competition at the National Western, which shows only Herefords, Angus, and Shorthorns. Some of the breeds may be mixed a bit, but the sire of the steer must be from one of those three. Hair is white. Big Mac now has his facial fur clipped short and in the barns of Carl Reed, the owner of six McDonald's hamburger stands. His fur is growing in white. Even stronger evidence is the Lazy J, Lazy Y connected brand burned into the animal's flank. That is the brand of Skylark Ranch in 
Parsball, Colorado, according to Earl Brown, state brand commissioner. Mr. and Mrs. Ray Davis of Lamont, Colorado, said they bought Jeep, a Charlotte cast from Skylark Ranch, in November of 1970. Mrs. Davis said her son, Kirk, 18, attended the National Western and recognized Big Mac as Jeep even though he had been dyed black. Once you get to know an animal, you can recognize it anywhere, Mrs. Davis said. In a telephone interview, she said that although many people think all cattle look alike, they have distinct features and personalities. She said Jeep would cry real tears if you got mad at him and gave him a swat. Eighth in Kansas City, she said Jeep had been shown in two county fairs in Colorado and placed eighth in the American Rural Stock Show in Kansas City last October. After that, she said the animal was sold to an Iowa man. Stock show officials said the Iowa man had reported that Jeep had died of hardware sickness, which comes from eating metal, particularly chunks of barbed wire fencing. Rex Miller's father, reached by telephone, declined to comment on the matter. Dying cattle, a common practice until this incident happened, has now been banned by stock show officials who could not be reached for comment. Mr. Reed said the owner's of 12 to 28 McDonald's restaurants in Colorado had decided to bid for Big Mac and had hoped to show him at their restaurants to promote business. We had our meat supplier hit on in it and told him to buy it no matter what the cost, Mr. Reed said. If they hadn't named it Big Mac, we never would have thought about it. Next time, I don't care if they're naming it McDonald's special. We're not bidding. Mr. Braun, the brand commissioner, said his attention was called to the matter when the animal hair began to look a little white at the roots. It was like a blonde woman who stayed at the stock show just a little too long, he said. Mr. Brown said the incident might clear up some questionable practices that had grown up around the showing of stock. He added, if a man is able to judge animals in the show of this magnitude, he should be able to tell an Angus from a Charlotte. He said he hoped to have the matter settled in the next few weeks, though there's still talk of lawsuits. As for Mr. Reed, he said he was being razzed a bit these days by people from Burger Chef, a competitor. The Rocky Mountain News observed McDonald's may be wondering if their company is the McGraw-Hill of the meat industry. Okay, Eldon, thanks for letting us play that. So that article is from 1972 in the New York Times. Eldon Miller started the National Livestock Exhibitor in 1979, so seven years later. Now we're going to get down to the business of the National Livestock Exhibitor the most dominant and premier publication of the 1980s and 90s, and you guys were rocking and rolling on into the early 2000s, 2010. So here is Eldon Miller of Afton, Iowa, joined by Matt Lautner and Bill Elliott of Illinois. You told someone one time that you knew your principles and character, and if someone didn't like you, that said more about them than it said about yourself. Can you comment on that? I, I think I think it does. And I've, I've had people say, well, if you do that, they won't like you. I could care less. Right. <laughs> and one of the things I was always careful about, I always tried to conduct my, myself, wouldn't have anything to criticize. Sure. At these shows, I didn't want to give anybody any reason to. I'm not telling you it's something for everybody, but I've never been into recreational sex. It's other people's business what they do. This is covering all bases, partner. Oh, that's fine. I do want to hit the morals and principles and character uh, line of questioning one more. Like when someone asked you to have a beer with them at, at a show, you had told me a story. Can you repeat that? You know, some people are offended if they offer you a drink and you can turn it down. I would say, 
Oh, I, I don't bear. Uh, alcohol kills the brain cells. And if I lose one more of mine, I, I won't have any. <laughs> and usually get a laugh. I had an, another line that I used. I'd be talking to some guy at a, at a show, and his daughter would come up, and he'd say, well, Eldon, this is, this is my daughter. I'd say, well, you must have a good-looking wife. I only had one guy that take, <laughs> took offense, and the girls just loved it. So, uh, yeah, to each his own on the recreational sex deal. But uh, I guess, uh, I mean, what is the key to being 91 years old and being so mentally sharp? Do you like to have a beer under certain circumstances? Or are you Clint Eastwood and Donald Trump are non-drinkers and non-smokers. Is that Elton Miller's key to long life, or, or uh, do you have a beer or two sometimes? One thing really helps me, guy. I just hate the smell of beer. I also don't like the smell of coffee. Do you like the smell of radio edit? <laughs> no. no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> don't answer that. Don't answer that. That's the recreational set. <laughs> it is good for the heart, it's, Elvin. Uh, I mean, it's cardiovascular, <laughs> you know, exercise. My God. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track. I'm sorry for screwing around there for a second. But you are 91, and I will take good, clean living tips from Eldon Miller any day of the week. Uh, I don't appear to be 91. Okay, here's a little bit of comparison on food. In 1931, Ohio spring lamb was 17 cents a pound. Sliced bake ham, 39 cents a pound. A dozen eggs cost 18 cents. Bananas cost 19 cents for four pounds. Spinach was five cents a pound. Applesauce, 20 cents for three cans. Bacon was 38 cents a pound. Bread, eight cents per loaf. Ketchup, nine cents. Lettuce, nine cents a head. Potatoes, 18 cents for 10 pounds. Sugar was 49 cents for 10 pounds. Oranges, 14 for 25 cents. Uh, Chuck roast, 15 cents per pound. A hot dog was 8 cents per pound. Best steak was 22 cents per pound. You're from way back, Elden. You are old school cool. I was down in Kansas City. They had brunch here for the champ steers. And Jerome Settle's wife, a sorority sister, and she was serving there. And she said, oh, Elden, she said, you haven't changed in 20 years. And I said, I have. And I said, you don't realize. She said, well, you, you haven't. And I said, uh, well, that comes from hard work, clean living, a clear conscience, and pure thoughts. You're starting to uh, sound like a TV preacher instead of an FBI agent now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could have collected money for that, Eldon. I mean, I'll get it. You have to preach a little bit, for Christ's sake. The lady standing, I, I said, guys usually laugh when they hear that last one. And the lady standing next to her said, is that because they know you? I said, no, it's because they know themselves. Gotcha. Sort of commentary right there. Hey, I, Matt, I do have a comment for, for Eldon, uh, and I want you to include this because uh, sure. talking about all the good things he's done, I was just like a, maybe junior high school, but I was at the International in Chicago the first time I met Eldon, okay? And Eldon and I talked about this here the other day or a while back or whatever, but he had this Blue Roan steer in the stalls and he was clipping on him and i mean this steer was in fact eldon i think that steer would have done pretty good today because i mean he had a big back and oh yeah but just stout as could be but i was watching eldon clip because i'm just a kid trying to learn you know and i will say this uh every question i mean eldon was busy clipping this steer because you know he was getting ready for the show but every question that i asked him he would. He took the time to answer me and and to mentor a kid. He didn't even know me, you know. At that time, we just met. But I I was totally impressed with Eldon Miller because he 
he was willing to help the next generation, if you will, to to take over, you know, and I was just really, really impressed. In fact, I think I wanted to buy that steer, but you told me you were taking him to Fort Worth or something. Or someplace, but he he was awesome. I, I can still see him in my mind. But I I've always uh, looked up to Eldon because, like I said, not only, I know he's helped hundreds of maybe thousands of other people, but I was uh, totally in, impressed by the fact that he took time for little old me just to answer my questions and help me out. And and Eldon, I I want to tell you right now, I thank you for that because it's meant a lot to me, and it's just one of the many things along the way that I've learned to be successful for whatever that is, but I've really, really appreciated it. Well, thank you. Just if we're telling your biography, Eldon, how many times have you been married or whatever? I don't know nothing about your personal family life. How many kids do you have? Six. Six kids. No kidding. That was recreational sex, Matt, you know. You had six <laughs> kids. That's right. So, so one wife? Yes. She's passed away, or do you still? Is she still alive? She made a, she made a left turn in front of us in front of a semi. Mm. So she passed away in a car accident. Yes. I'm sorry to hear that. What, how many years ago is that? Something I lose time on. I'm sorry that I had to bring it up. That's awful to hear that news. You said you lived in Eagleville, Missouri. When did you move to Afton? And were you always close with Showhorns? Like I know. Questing Hills Land and Livestock. I believe that's what your farm name is. I think of the I think of the breed Shorthorns because you've always been closely tied to them. Well, I, I I did for a long time. I'll tell you, the leadership of some of these breeders associations has not been too good. I'll tell you over the years, I I'll tell you a short story. And you know this guy, uh, John, Johnny Hook. Johnny Hook, Topeka, Kansas. Yeah, yeah. He called me a couple weeks ago after. Uh, after the Memorial Day episode, yeah. He had uh, was down to the Missouri State Fair, and I come along there and talked to him, and he wanted to show me this bull, and, and they were all red and white, and he said, this this bull's won a couple state fairs or something. He said, got a good chance here, and he's and I said, he had a smaller frame one standing beside him, and I, <clears throat> I said, well, that's fine. But the commercial man will like the other one. And I run into him later, and he said, you know, he said, you were right. The commercial man all liked this smaller frame bull. We had leadership with the key association, and I really, I like key cattle. Really changed as much as anything, and of course, they should as extreme as they are. But one thing I'll say, a little bit of key goes a long way, though. Elton. You don't, we don't need no purebred keys. No, we don't. There were key cattle in this country, purebreds, after a few years ago, a few years after they were brought over, first brought over, that were really good kind of cattle. The commercial man just love them. If they just would have tied into them, that breed could be going today. Of course, their cattle are good because they've got, they've put enough Angus in them that they've made some awful good cattle. There wasn't a breed other than Kianita that could change in one generation any faster than Kianita. One cross, you see, you could see a bigger change than any of the other European cattle that had been brought over. But there, there were purebred cattle that were, but they weren't popular. I, I know when Hawksleys were doing so good with their cattle. Well, I was going to say that the story I got, Eldon, when the, the delegation from the United States went to Italy to pick out the cattle, you know, you had to pick them out of a certain age group. You just couldn't pick and choose any of the cattle over there and then import them. But at the time, that was at the time the Kianina thing really got popular. 
was when we were just trying to get cattle bigger, as big as we could get them. And of course, they were the biggest of, of anything on the planet. There were cattle uh, genetics in, left in Italy that were thicker, which would be more suitable and more acceptable today. And then, of course, the other story, I heard this from some of the old guys that went over there. The Italians, they, everybody was scared to death of Canadians on their disposition, but they they kind of offered up some of the, the pedigree lines or genetic lines of the cattle that were a little bit more, you know, had a little more wilder disposition, if you will, and they were glad to get rid of them. What we used here in this country made a, and Matt would know, remembers that too, I know, just made the huge difference. And like Matt just said, a little bit of key goes a long, long way, <laughs> believe me. Yeah, like in, in the Shorthorns, they had to, they had a survey here several years ago. They wanted breeders to list what their first, second, third that they that the breed should work on. And number one was calving ease. By very bottom was they didn't need to work on muscling. And and uh, there was a bull that uh, out of Minnesota. His name was Ayatollah. Everybody called him No Asatala. <laughs> Well, he was part milk and shorthorn, wasn't he? How about Habanero being, had to be narrow. He had to be narrow. Habanero. But he had a good profile. We have had the discussion on Memorial Day about your 1972 steer. I at least want to ask you about the fallout or whatever your thoughts may be about the steer that wins Denver. That was a Charlet that was dyed black. And everybody wants to know. You, you could become twice as wealthy as you are by telling the secret of how you got a white steer dyed black and nobody knew it throughout the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You had Nolan and Paul question. They kept asking, how'd you get his white nose black? Yes. Yes, that is the key. If you think that was tough, try getting their eyes, their white <laughs> eyes, black. You know what, Eldon? Don't don't tell them the secret, Eldon. I'm not. Great. Let that question mark be out there. You owe it to yourself, okay? I mean, yeah. Many years from now, 15 years from now, I'm going to visit you just shortly after your 106th birthday. And I'm going to say, give me the damn key, Elton. I want to know how you got that nose and eyelids black. I, if Colonel I, if Sanders gave out the recipe. And then they if, went, if, you know, hell, you don't even hear about him anymore. So, Eldon, take that to your grave. Don't don't let that shit out. That's not – it. No. You owe it to if, yourself to keep it. I, I have people ask me, I tell them, if I tell you, you'll get in trouble. Amen to that. I think there's a there's there's an old saying, you know, uh, a secret shared by more than one is a secret to none. So, Too many yeah. cooks spoil the soup, for sure. I had a Charlay steer gray one that I bought out of Chicago that very same year in Denver that ended up being Reserve Angus in the Open Show. Of course, you won the Junior Show with Big Mac, but. Uh, Hell, I used to tell people, if I'd have known how to dye that one black, I might have won the whole damn thing. Mine was still silver gray, you know. But well, I was just going to oh, yeah. say, if he sold it, he'd have to sell the secret. He just can't give it away because Eldon doesn't be in, give anything away. That'll be in the book. Hell, he could, be, yeah. he could have paid for his FBI, uh, edu you know, he could have been an FBI agent if he'd sell the secret on that. The one thing that I, I did not do is when they asked me if I dyed the steer, I said yes. And they said, why'd you do that? You won't let us show crossbred cattle. 
And they don't they didn't realize that crossbreeding was the future of the of the beef industry. Absolutely. And it was controlled by the Angus and the Herford Association. Yeah. I mean we talk about judges sometimes being political, but whenever you think about the influence of the Angus Association and the Herford Association in the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, they didn't want crossbred cattle to be the ones that won. They wanted their darn no. Angus steers to win shows or or not, they weren't technically Angus steers. Whenever you can show a Charlotte cross as an Angus, but they wanted the the influence and the in the spotlight to stay on their breed, not on a on a crossbred derivative type of cattle. Well, in '69, when Conoco won Chicago, I could you remember Dale Baird, don't you, Eldon? He was a field man for the Angus Dale Baird. He was a fieldman for the Angus Association forever. But I was just a kid growing. But anyway, I was in Chicago when Conoco won. I remember him just out there in the, in the, in the amphitheater walking around shaking his head. He, he just couldn't believe it, how terrible it was, this silver gray steer won. I came up to him and said, yeah, but you got to remember, he's out of an Angus cow. They weren't smart enough to think about taking that and running with it. I mean, they still had the Angus factor, even though it was sired by Charlotte Bull. Oh, yeah. Bringing that to the modern day. You got Key yeah. Angus, Sim Angus, Main Angus. Favorite new breed, Limflex or Lim Angus. Yes, that's, oh, yeah. They just weren't thinking yeah. about uh, growing the breed by letting people crossbreed cross breed their own purebred into the Angus deal, for sure. They were I, narrow-minded. I mean, they, they couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that there was much more to gain to improve by doing that than where they were. <laughs> Close-minded. I I yeah. would, I turned Conoco down for the international. So you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Breaking news! Breaking news! Fifty-two years later. Let's yeah, that's story. that's a news point. I'll tell you, I I judged the Shorthorn Show, Illinois State Shorthorn Show, and Gary Lensengraf approached me after the show, and he said, "We've got a we've got a good steer, and he's too big for for my boy to handle. Would you be interested in showing him on chairs?" And I said, "Well, take a look at him." And so we stayed, My one of my boys was with me, we stayed overnight. In the morning, went out and looked at that steer, and I said, he, he's a pretty good steer. But now this is in June. I've got to give myself an excuse. And to me, he came across as being coarse. He was heavy bone. I thought we had two better steers in the barn than him. They can change in a few, in several, you know, a few months, you know. I always say whenever you miss out or you miss evaluate or whatever, sometimes that big fish gets away, though, sometimes. Don't tell him, Melvin. <laughs> I anyways, take it to the grave. You, and we talked the other day. You're a long ways from going to the old uh, party in the graveyard. I, I feel there that. You go. You're going to be around for a while, but keep that secret with you. I don't even want you to tell me. If you tell anybody, day, tell me. The day that yeah. you send your cows to the sale barn, that's the day that you aren't going to get out of bed a hustling, Elvin. So don't ever sell your cows. No, no. Keep them cows. Well, I want to be involved. Yeah. 91 years just, old. How many cows do you own, Elvin? Oh, 100. 91 years old, owning 100 cows. That is freaking amazing. Good job. Steer I sent to Nolan. You can swan the state fair with me. I don't yeah, know I remember that. I stopped at the guy's place and he had to look at his calves and somebody recommended I go stop there. It was when the limousines were just coming in. This guy said, well, him and his hired help was just going in for, for dinner. And he said, well, we, we just fed calves are down there. Go take a look. And I went down and 
they had a concrete bunk and a concrete apron. And the, the, the walk started on one end, and those cattle, there's about 200 head. Those cattle just turned around one right after another. We looked at them, and uh, I said, one, one turned around, and I said, there he is. And my boy said, uh, you haven't seen his butt yet. I said, no, but I've seen his head. That's all I need to see. There you go. Well, and he won both shows at the Illinois State Fair. <laughs> everybody's got something that they look for, put some emphasis on. As type changes, why that changes. We covered a lot of things. I didn't didn't get things that I wanted, but you kind of... It'd be like me. I mean, to go back and, and recant everything would take more than a couple hours, you know, so yeah, I, I've had yeah. people ask me about writing a book, you know, and I said, geez, I don't know where I'd start. Well, I know where I'd start, but I just know where the hell I'd end up. I guess it, <laughs> that would take a while, you know, yeah. but... The one thing I that I probably didn't emphasize enough, and and I, I, I didn't want to... I don't want to come across that it's uh, it was all me because it wasn't but it, it was so many people played a part in it you know oh yeah and oh yeah of and, course. And, but i will say that success breeds success and, absolutely you know you build on what you have done some of them are on quicksand no, i've had somebody I've had, people, I've had people you know young the younger folks you know they say well you know you're living in the past, Elliot. You know you you went you but you did a bunch of winning in the '70s and the '80s and some in the '90s and well we still try to keep up. But anyway, they say you know well you're living in the past. You won the state fair three times out of five years and did this did that. But I said you know what? At least I got those memories <laughs> and I got the I got yeah. the trophies on the wall to prove it. And I said you guys got to do you haven't done that yet. So, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, I'm like you. Like I said, I learned a lot from you because, you know, if if you don't kind of try to help educate or, or steer young folks in the right direction, uh, somebody's got to teach them or tell them, you know. So we were talking the other day about overaging cattle, you know. And, again, I, I'm with you. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. Uh, particularly, I mean, steers are one thing. Uh, they're a terminal end product. But even at that, with that said, you know, I mean, if you can't play it straight, why even bother? But in the breeding stock, you know, that's something that other people would use genetics or whatever for years to come. And uh, to me, that's that's even worse. On the other side of the coin, particularly the politics thing in the ring, you know, it's like the Angus show years ago in Chicago. Ankeny, you know, would win... And and a lot of times the bulls they sold they didn't sire cattle that looked like them. You know, I remember people telling me that. And and a lot of times they get judges that was fixing to have a sale, and and uh, so they would use the folks that they thought would be coming to their sale. <laughs> to, you know, they would take care of those folks, and of course then their sale would reflect <laughs> pretty much how they judged at Chicago. You know. So, I mean, politics and the show ring has been with us forever and probably not ever going to change, but, you know, we just have to deal with it the best we can. Uh, SAV that has these 1,000-pound weeding weights, I, I, I know guys use their semen. They don't produce and grow like like their cattle do. But I was told that, and I know a guy that worked there for a year. I, I'd like to visit with him. 
sometime. I was told, not by him, but I was told that about four times a day, the, those cows are on full feed, and they chase them up. <laughs> they chase them all up to the bunk so they'll eat a little more. Okay, Elton, before we get going with your next point, I just wanted to ask you a series of questions. Uh, Showbox Magazine, friend or foe of the National Livestock Exhibitor? And just as a point of record, Showbox was started by Billy Rash and Cherie Rash Caraba. I had no problem with it. Good. Show Circuit Magazine, friend or foe? And just as a point of record, Show Circuit Magazine was started by Roland Shoemaker in the early 90s out of East Central Illinois. Well, I do have a, a problem there because... Okay, this is important. You had told me that one of your longtime employees sold what to Roland Shoemaker? My mailing list from one of my longtime employees and, uh, and uh, that mailing list would come under intellectual property and he should have known if he did not that uh, that would be a, a felony because of the value. If it had not been the fact, my employee that did this, I hate to use the word theft, but but I don't know what, but some. This many years later, uh, maybe it just needs to be stated that that was a valuable mf -er to own, the, the National Livestock Exhibitors mailing list. Yeah, moving on, here's another question. Um, I doubt that you'll remember specifically, but I'll ask the question anyway. Largest number of pages ever printed in a single issue of the National Livestock Exhibitor? Did you ever break five or 600, or what was the biggest one in your estimate? I, I can't give you an answer. I don't know what the number is, but I guarantee you, your August issue through the 90s was like the heaviest paperweight of all time. It was big, big. The one thing that we tried, and there is there is a scale that a publication should, certain percentage of of advertising, a certain percentage of editorial copy in the magazine, they don't all do that. I guarantee you, you did. I want to mention uh, Johnny Johnson took the lead in and organized the Nebraska Club Calf Association. Basically, got funds in from from producers. Uh, Iowa did have another one that was that was an asset. Dick Fry oh, yeah. came up with the idea, and it was called the Iowa Show Calf Producers, I believe. Uh, John Frazier uh, worked real hard with that. Uh, he became involved basically at, at the Iowa State Fair. They're supposed to, they were supposed to get, or Iowa Beef Expo. They were supposed to get five hundred dollars, and they didn't get. Uh, his boy Jerry never didn't get paid. It was about six months went by, and he called me and. And I called the editor or the manager of the expo and, and they, uh, and they sent him a check and said it was an oversight, but Jerry was yeah. just afraid they weren't going to do it. 
Oh, just briefly, on your uh, Nebraska Club Calf Producers list and the Iowa Show Calf Producers, in my humble opinion, the breeder maps that you would have put out was like the before the Internet, that's what changed the world in terms of show cattle or whatever because, I mean, you'd, if you're Dwayne Hilbert or uh, Fred Hartman, you knew where all these breeders were. But just for Mon Pa Joe Farmer from Illinois to find somebody in western Iowa at Dunlap or Westington Springs at South Dakota or the Northeast Nebraska Club Calf Producers Group, those maps, mapping people out on the map, that, that truly changed the game in terms of finding breeders. Before the Internet, I just think that was a big deal. So uh, what are your thoughts on the Internet era? I mean, comparing... All print. Nobody knew about the internet. I mean, do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's soured the industry? How do you think? What do you, What is your thought, being the owner of the National Livestock Exhibitor? Well, it was very negative for me because because uh, the internet it's it's uh, really instant. It took so much advertising away that the magazine uh, really wasn't profitable. Sure. I, I didn't ever think people would buy show steers off of picture. Sure, but that's that's because I'm I'm old school, really yep. old school. <laughs> I'll tell you how old school you are. For the people that are listening to this for the very first time, you have listened to two or three of my podcasts, but you don't have a computer and you don't have a smartphone. So I actually laid. My kids' phone down on my computer turned on the podcast or two that you're interested in listening to, and you listened through the phone to a couple of podcasts we did a month or a month and a half ago. So you are old school cool, Elton Miller. I'll promise you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So here's my yeah. last question. Here's my last question before we go down the, 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 the boil story. Uh, if you just thinking way back to the 40s and 50s, if you had done something besides livestock publication or livestock in general, what were your passions outside of the ag deal or would you have been a farmer or what, what were your interests uh, growing up way back when? Well, I was, well, like I said, was from the time I started showing, I was interested in show cattle. We had uh, way back when at uh, Ida Grove, Iowa, why there was a Smith's that, yep. that uh, showed Carlo lots in in Chicago. They showed uh, Angus cattle, and Hoffman's showed Hereford's cattle, and and we visited there one Sunday. My family went went for a drive, and we went down there, and and my my dad at one time was one of the largest cattle feeders in Cherokee County. How things have changed. This one year, he had, like I say, he was one of the largest cattle feeders. I think the third largest, and he had 112 head. And look where that business is going. Yep. Anyway, I I can remember my dad. They had a Smith had a show steer, or a lead steer that they were going along, and I can. I can remember my my dad leading that that calf out of the barn 
waist high uh, steers, and that's probably my first recognition re recognition of of show uh, cattle. And I I was quite young. We had a used to be the drive shaft for a car would leave a hump in the down the center of the center of the car. I can remember standing on that on that hump from the on the back seat and seeing him lead that cattle out. All right, go ahead with your uh, Iowa Beef Expo story or the Boyle story, if you will. Pat Boyle was the first manager of the Iowa Beef Expo. When John Fraser called, was telling me about this, they didn't get paid. Why? So I started looking into a little bit on what Pat Boyle had said one time at a board meeting that that if it had not been for the junior show, the expo would be operating at a deficit. Look into this, and things there's some some things that just didn't add up. They they had a permanent treasure and uh, uh -oh. nice guy, but not qualified to be the treasure. The expo catalog had been mailed out of Spencer Post Office, and I called the post office in, in Spencer and 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 uh, asked if I could see their statement of mailing or if they could send me the statement of mailing. And the postmaster said, sure, he said, but it'll cost you. I said, uh, how much? And he said, $3. Why, there is no way in the world you could, on a telephone call from some, some voice they don't know, could you ever get a statement of mailing from somebody today? But anyway, they sent it, and the numbers that she had were that they mailed, and the number they claimed had been mailed were different. That Expo catalog went to a lot of people because it went to to previous buyers and and previous consigners at at the state fair as well as all the members of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. I called the printer who all the expo catalogs went to. He gave me a number. I didn't think it made sense. Pat Boyle had said that she had taken 600 to, to Denver to hand out, and she had taken 300 to the expo to, to hand out. So what did the printer say, Elton? Or how many did you send to the expo? And he said, uh, 23. Pat Boyle had said that she had 600 sent there. He'd sent magazines to the to Denver, well, to hand out at the National Western. I called the Limousine Association because I knew that's where they would have gone. And then the person I talked to didn't know anything about it. The maintenance man would know. She gave me a number and I called him. He said, uh, yeah, I remember them. He said, they sit around here for for a while, and after the show was over, I threw them out. She would not tell the truth on anything. I asked if they could, if they had done an audit 
on the finances. And they said, well, they hadn't, but they'd have the Iowa Catalans would do one. They did one. I went to the next meeting, and, and they said everything was fine. I said, did, did you do an internal audit? They said, well, no. And I said, well, if you didn't do an internal audit, you really don't know what's going on. Well, he said, all we did was compare the income and expenses. That's all we did. Well, and she, Pat Boyle appointed uh, Doc Fitzpatrick, I think his name was, a buddy of hers, to internal audit done. And I said, oh boy, another whitewash. It came out in the minutes of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. Following the audit, restitution had been made, so the restitution was expected. Talk about making an enemy. <laughs> that was for one way to do it. And we had started the, this Iowa point show. She thought I was getting too much good out of that. She started the Cattlemen's Junior Association. Took it away from me. So No kidding. I did not know that. So the IJBBA replaced your point show uh, system back in the 80s. That's that's just history right there. I'm yeah, and, and the elders would have made it, a good it, FBI agent, really. I mean, from what I'm hearing, you you could have done that along with the livestock exhibitor. They would, the FBI could have used you for solving all these problems, Elvin. <laughs> Elvin, I don't know how much you've heard about it from the last election, but you should have been an FBI investigator and got to the bottom of this stolen election of 2020. There you go. I'd like to have access to Hunter's laptop, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I can send you a website, and you'd see more than you'd want to see, Elvin. Elvin's probably seen it all, but he probably hasn't seen that. <laughs> uh, he'd want to see the paper trail stuff, though. He wouldn't want to see all those sick pictures. I guarantee you, from what he's been telling us, he would have gotten to the bottom of it a lot sooner than what they're doing, you know. There's a lot of truth to following the money trail. When I called the printer, I introduced myself as being on the board of the Iowa Beef Expo. And he says, what's your name? And I gave him the name of the first name that popped into my head. Oh! This guy told me later, he said, I don't know what the hell I did to, did to her, but boy, she sure got it in for me. And I never did tell anybody whose name it was, but he was a good guy. I'll give you an example. There were people serving on the board that had never seen the bylaws of the Beef Expo. They had never seen what her salary was. Uh, she would appoint a sale committee to, to get those. And they, Lyle Herring was, uh, represented the Angus breed and he was on that, on the board. Most of them served for two years and then they, the breed state breed association would appoint somebody else. When it came to nominate someone for to be the vice president, he, he said, "I nominate Kent Crothers for vice president, and I move the nomination cease." Well, there had already been a about five of the guys had gotten together and trying to get rid of Boyle. I think it was Bedwell. We want to make a an, another nomination. Pat says, "Well, why do you want to do that?" I, Committee's already nominated some, but anyway, they voted in, and, and Bedwell got on the board at that time. It was run more like a junior high election than it was a... Well, you got that wrong, mister. It was run more like a national presidential election in 2020. Yeah. Do you think bookkeeping and things along those lines needed more policing, or do you feel like you served any purpose in terms of politics in the show ring or what activism I, roles I, do you see most that you would have traveled down most often i i, I want to do podcasts on judge on my experiences as judges 
we'll save that one next week or whenever you have more time. I know as far as your magazine, I remember, Eldon, you used to print, uh, and I thought it was really a positive move, but after the state fairs, I think Matt brought up about the state fair issue of the National Livestock Exhibitor. Eldon would print the sale results from each state fair, and you could kind of go down the list which states were, were doing better, making them bring more money. And I do think that inspired particularly Illinois to get on the ball. And I think, I actually think he, you, he, you created some competitive spirit for the sale committees to try to keep up or outdo the next state or whatever. That was a positive move at the time. Same like that point, point system that you spoke of. I mean, you make it yeah. public and knowledgeable and people get competitive and they don't want to be the second or third highest sale champions in the Midwest. They want to be number one. Well, competition is good. There was a psychiatrist extension listened to. They were, this psychiatrist said that competition is harmful to children. It's completely opposite the, of the real world. Oh, yeah. And competition, while it's not always fair, it does make things better. I don't care whether it's a car or, or a corn planter or livestock. Competition does, does improve the product. Gets you out of bed in the morning, gets you running. I mean, to stay ahead or to, to catch up or to stay on even ground, for sure. There was a quote from one of a, the last three or four podcasts. I'll just mention it because I don't know if I, you've heard it, Elton, but uh, the, the recent thing in the sometimes in the teaching community is all these kids should get a ribbon. Well, guess what? In life, in livestock shows, it teaches you that there's winners and losers. And if you want to be a winner, you got to get out of bed early. You got to work hard. If you don't, you're going to get beat by somebody that worked harder than you. Well, that is yeah, absolutely this correct. Extension in Iowa was pushing this green participation ribbon. That was promoted very strongly by Jerry Parsons from Iowa mm -hmm. State. I had met with him and interviewed him and and he said, well, people want that, want to get money for those champions. See, he said, they're just rabble rousers. I had that on tape and I thought, isn't that something? Somebody's in charge of the program and, and he has that opinion of them. One of my favorite words is documentation. And one of my favorite people is Doc Hunsley. And that's kind of his favorite word, what he's done and on the outside anyway. Okay, Elton, go ahead and tell me about the Iowa. I got a call from Jerome Settles one day, and he said, what's going on in Iowa? And I said, well, they want to stop all junior livestock, including the Iowa State Fair. So I called and made this appointment. Parsons was there, but I attended the Iowa Association Affairs meeting. At that meeting, they had Representative Bill Miller an extension director from Muscatine. He stood up and, and said that they would have trouble every year at their at their auction, so they just discontinued it. Entries went up. You're saying they discontinued their sale of champions or a ribbon sale? Well, I knew that was a lie. Oh yeah, that sounds like liberal logic to me. You see that a lot on a site called Twitter. They had a, another extension director come down and, and he said he had judged uh, Jackson, Minnesota that year. And when he slapped the calf, it sounded just like a drum. And I, I knew that was a lie because I knew the people. And 
Parsons made his little talk about getting too much much money in the, in the sales causes this corruption and so on. Anyway, I went to this meeting and I repeated that to the the other members were there. They were very attentive. I would say that one of the guys he the meeting didn't last for an long. I doubt it was I, it was fifteen minutes or probably less. He one of the guys says, "Well, I think we've heard everything we need to hear." We went out in the hallway there, visited a little bit. And they were a little interested in what I the magazine and what I did. And, Parsons, he stayed in the room and closed the door. I said, boy, if that isn't isn't what we've got in these colleges. I'm only making this statement about what you've told us here today, Eldon. You kind of sounded like Batman. You were advocating before there were advocates. So thank you for sticking up to those university uh, liberals that wanted to do away with the sale of champions and also just give us all green ribbons and not selecting a grand in reserve at the Iowa State Fair. I was asked to judge the Morell's carcass contest at one time. I think 68 steers the first year. The guy that was showing me around, he said, he had a, uh, an alleyway about 20 feet wide, about 50 feet long. And he said, we'll bring the steers in and we'll walk them down that end and walk them back and, and you, you, can, you can score them. Uh, they had great choice, ribeye area and back fat, so you'll get a total for the steers, a total score for each steer. I said, well, hell, that's, that's tough. You can't can't do that. And he said, he said that's the way I wired by him. Well, I knew very well it wasn't because I had I I had ridden with. Uh, Jerome settled when he was buying cattle out of Norfolk. I was amazed at the at the knowledge they had of of those of each pan of calves. They knew what time they came in, the rations they were on. They bid them on a pen at a time when seven percent of them would make choice. That's when they, that's when they would. Were you allowed to handle those have, steers, Eldon? When no, you, you couldn't handle them. No, no, I had Judge Cocker shows at county fairs where you handle them. Well, I was judging a show in North East Iowa, so I yeah. stayed over and I went to the awards banquet. And Bob Lewis, which is Joe Lewis's nephew, we went down to the cooler. And but the first thing I saw Bob, I said, "Well, how did I do?" He said, "Well, you, you kept one in the top ten." I said, "One." <laughs> And he said, well, that's good. The guy last year didn't get any. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I did so good they asked me back. So the next year, why well, I got four stayed in the top ten. I told Bob, I said, well, that's, I did a little better, didn't I? Yeah, he said, three guys are judged ahead of you. In five years, they got, they got three steers to stay in the top ten. I'll be darned. Don Good, Miles McKee, and Jack Frost were the previous judges. Okay, I'm smart enough to know that you're talking about people right there, but Miles McKee and Jack Frost, I believe that's a cow and a bull that I'm aware of. Well, that's pretty good somebody. <laughs> At least Don Good was probably a judge that judged some uh, yeah. lots of major shows. And All three of those guys judged a lot of major shows. 
Well, I was wanting to ask Eldon, do you remember the show at Webster City, Iowa? And it was, I can't, it was, I want to say it was kind of in the spring of the year. But these these were, when you were talking about the show you judged, you know, for Carcass, uh, but this was a regular steer show. I think the steers were fitted. But when you got to the ring, uh, they had to turn them loose. In other words, they weren't, they were fitted, clipped, whatever. But, uh whoever was judging judged them loose and and i don't remember when that show stopped but i want to i I was never at it but i always heard about it and i I didn't know if you'd been there or had any knowledge of that show or remembered it or not but i believe it was at webster city do you remember that eldon or because you were jocking back then about the time i was wanting to but it it was kind of one of the last shows when all the shows in the country were open i'm talking texas you know there was a You'd go to Kansas City, then Chicago, then to Denver, and then everybody would head south. And I, I want to say, and then there was that deal in Louisville. They called it the Bourbon Beef Show. You remember that? I, I showed there. But that yeah. deal at Webster City, they they turned them loose. I mean, you fitted them. They were clipped and fitted. But the reason for it was, of course, it gets back to that old thing, politics. You know, they thought, well, if nobody's leading them, it makes it a fair playing field. But uh but I know I don't know what they call it. Everybody just called it Webster City is what I recall. I was living in Missouri at, at that time, and I received several calls from people that lived there or that showed there at the Missouri State Fair. They'd complain about the sale of champions. Champion steer would bring about uh, $2,000. The lamb might might bring 500 and the pig bring uh, $200. And, uh, so I called the state fair and talked to Marion Lucas, who was a manager there at that time. I told him what I'd like to, you know, like to see better prices there. And, and he said that, well, he'd like to see higher prices too. I said, if you can put power there in Missouri together, I think I could get Bob Volk to come down and speak to the group. At that time, he was manager of the Exarban, and the Exarban was having successful sales. He flew down to Kansas City, and we we picked him up and drove over to uh, Sedalia. Marion got the secretary of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce and uh, Larry Mead, who published a show public, or a sheep publication, mm-hmm. head of it. 4-H in Missouri and the head of FFA in Missouri. When Bob presented a, really a, an upbeat presentation where they, he said it was so much of it was a matter of giving recognition and publicity to the buyer. And at that time, why they had started to televise the sale at Exarban and it had been a tremendous boost to their to the prices that were paid. Secretary of the Missouri Chamber of Commerce sent out a, about 3,000 letters to businesses and members of, of uh, the Chamber of Commerce, and they get back about $3,000 to spend at the sale of champions. He said, it doesn't go very far. And I, I told him, if you, if you would, if I could get the 
list of the chamber members, I would see if I could get the governor to send a letter asking them to uh, attend the sale and, and purchase a, a some of the champions. They agreed to do that, and they they sent me the list of names. I called the governor and, and told him that I better back up. I sent a letter to the governor's office. as a governor bond at that time, and I didn't get a response back. So I called the governor's office, and, and when you speak to one of those politicians, you normally have to go through an aide. The aide said, uh, oh, the governor's too busy. He doesn't have time for something like that. Sometimes just the, the right words come. And I said, here, let me read you what I'm going to write about Governor Bond and attending the sale. I said, I'm going to write that Governor Bond was invited to attend the sale and sent a letter out to prospective buyers. His response indicates his interest in in Missouri agriculture and Missouri young people. He was quiet for about three seconds. You saying that and, and phrasing that to her like that, that was like a cold glass of water in the face. You're not going to receive good publicity off this, so you better start you know, respecting the game a little bit. No one likes to have uh, negative things about, said about themselves, especially politicians and seeing it in print. Anyway, it was quiet for about three seconds, and then she said, would you send us another letter? Well, that told me that the first one had gone in the, that little round file sitting by her desk. And so I sent her a letter, sent him a letter by registered mail. And in about three days, I got a call back and she said, the government, the governor will attend the sale and he will send a letter out. Cool. And she said, would you, would you tell me what we should say in the letter? Well, anyway, the letter went out. One of the people that the letter was sent to was Jerry Orchland with Orchland Farm and Home Store. He came to the sale and he bought all three champion species. He paid 10 for the for the grand, I think 2000 for, for the pig and 3000 for the uh for the lamb. And I talked to him after the sale. He said when I received that letter from the governor, I realized it was something that I should do. He came back the next year. President Reagan was attending the state fair. He paid 15000 for the champion steer. I talked to him about he had hired Scott Sloan to take those champions to his farm and to his stores. And each one of his stores are located in a county seat town. He would get free publicity from the from the newspaper and the radio station. He said that that was the best money he'd ever spent in advertising. He said, we keep track of the number of people that enter our stores every day and the dollar amount that they spend. And our investment in, in buying the champions was, was greatly returned. You probably felt like you were helping the industry, helping youth. Did you see reciprocation from customers liking what you were doing or doing more advertising with you or new people finding you because of your work with 
uh, state fair sale of champions, or what was the feedback for the National Livestock Exhibitor? It was all favorably. The people there in Missouri were very congratulatory toward getting a change. Previously, if they got $2,000, they thought, you know, that was about all they could get. Well, at this meeting, there was also Larry Mead, who published a sheep magazine. He said there's 70% of the population of Missouri are on our east and west border. That's Kansas City and St. Louis. And he said, Sedalia sits here in the middle of the state. He said, you'll never get any, any support for a sale here. And my response was that there are more people, more businesses reside within the other places in the state other than the east and west coast. I then asked the, the representatives of FFA and 4-H if they had any objection to increasing the prices. And one of them said, we have no objection to an increase in price. The only thing we don't want, we don't want the price to be high one year and down the next. It was kind of an interesting meeting. Meeting. So So what part of Missouri did you live in? Uh, Eagleville, just south of the line. And be, because of the, I guess, success we had there, I went to the Iowa Iowa Foundation for Agriculture Advancement was a group formed, and their purpose was to bring recognition to people that excel in Iowa agriculture. It was basically organized by members of the fair board. The sale of champions at the Iowa State Fair, they got about $2,500 for the grand champion steer. And the reason that they were couldn't or didn't raise any money was simply they did not have people on the board of this foundation. Most of them were were more interested in the position they were in doing anything for for the sale. I, I attended a state fair meeting. I I told them uh, I said you you've got a great organization. And you're a good bunch of fellas. You don't know a damn thing about managing that sale. They looked at me, and of course, I made some enemies there. One of the board members said, "I will." We learned a lot this this last year, and we'll do better. Well, they did not do better. I went to the fair board meeting the next year, and I told them basically the same thing. Marion Lucas was the had been hired as a new state fair manager, was from Missouri, and he worked behind the scenes, and the success we had there in Missouri, he spoke up, and he said, well, he said, Eldon, he said, you can, if if you can do better, he said, why don't you, why don't you elect a new board of directors for, for the foundation? you can manage the sale. I said, I can do that. I got tried to get uh, a representative of show pigs and uh, lamb and, and cattle. 
and a businessman and tried to sp- spread it out. Everybody be could be representative. representative. We had our first meeting, and Warren Kalman said, "Well, Eldon, he said, you you kind of got this started. You, you can I nominate you for president." And I said, "I don't want to be president because I'm too controversial." He said, "You could be vice president." I said, "No, I don't. For the same reason, I'm too controversial." What made you controversial, in your own opinion, at that point? At that time, I had. I did a little custom fitting, and I I had uh, fitted cattle for one person that, who had, the rumor was that he had uh, pedigrees didn't match the cattle. They questioned me about it. I said, hey, oh, I, I'm just doing a job is all I'm doing. I'm not keeping his records. But anyway... Then he said, well, Warren was the president then. He said, uh, well, you could be secretary treasurer. And I says, I I could not. I uh, I would be secretary because I would know what's going on, but I won't be treasurer. I said, we need somebody as a treasurer that no one is going to question the finances. Dean Danielson. He was a vice president of a bank, one of our board members, and his dad was Gail Danielson, the director of Iowa Development Commission. He was a treasurer. Sounds to me like you did a good job of just changing the mentality like a good football coach. You made it exciting to go to the sale of champions. Tell me more. When they would pick the champion, pick the champion steer, why they'd look at each other and say, "Well, now we got to find a buyer. We wanted to get a celebrity there, so we we asked uh, Branstead. He always took that week off and went on vacation to see his mother. We asked Grassley, and Grassley agreed to come. I was kind of designated to to give Harkin talk to him." I, I met with him and an aide. He was, uh, his aide had to explain to him, after I told him what we wanted, his his aide had to explain to him three different times what him to do, and that was simply come to the sale and, and, and say something good about the state fair and ask for his support. He, he didn't come. Hmm. Now Grassley Grassley came to the sale, and when he stood up at the podium to say a few words, why the whole crowd uh, it was just spontaneously they stood up and applauded. The next year, why he brought uh, prospective buyers with him, so he was he definitely played a part in, in getting it done. Like uh, Senator Grassley said uh, a week or 10 days ago on my podcast, he said he visits every 99 counties every year. He just doesn't stop and smell the roses and move on. He actually has meetings with people. Sounds like with your deal, he's doing the same thing in that uh, he not only was attending 
he actually had a self-interest and saw the value in it, and he actually put some time and energy into it. That's awesome. And as a politician, hopefully it was good for him. He's been there a long time. One of the uh, high V has been a strong supporter. Successes we had there, uh, you know, at Iowa and at, at Missouri, invited, and I uh, met with the Minnesota Sale Committee. Their total dollar amount for their sale when a new group headed by Kent Thesey took over was $35,000 was the gross of their of their sale of champions. Under proper, under a different leadership, uh, Kent had said that if he could select his own, own board, why he would head up to the committee. The Minnesota, within the last couple of years, has has grossed nearly half a million dollars. Boom, thirty-five thousand on up to a half a million. Great job, Kent Thesey, and also Eldon Miller. Come on. So it, it definitely shows what a difference you know one person can make. As a president of the Minnesota Cattlemen's Association, why he says, "What does Miller get out of it?" And I said, what I get out of it is that I, I think it'll encourage people to participate in a program that I believe in. More public, good publicity than any state gets, the more people that may or may not advertise with you. And it really doesn't have to come down to the advertising dollar. It's just sometimes a guy wants to do right. It sounds like you were trying to do right. Elvin, let's talk quickly about the Iowa Point Show system that you have uh, kind of the grandfather of. Something that can be said about the point shows is, is, I mean, let's just say they give away a $500 show box at the end of the year. I don't know what they give away. But, I mean, uh, there's whenever you make it a ranking system and moms and dads or grandpas and grandmas see their kid in fourth place, and just a few more shows will get them into second or third or first place, uh, they Absolutely. might spend $5,000 ass and hotels and whatever else to win that $500 show box because it becomes a competition at that point. And uh, that's just show livestock in a nutshell, I think. Like that's tough. Those point shows or whether even now in the modern day, we got these district shows popping up where if you win your county fair, you go on a district. Win your district, you go on to the state district show. Uh, it just, you get that added Matt, level of intensity. <laughs> I, I didn't know that Eldon was... Part of the part of the beginning story of the of the Iowa Point system. Yeah. Well, you'd mentioned Illinois, and this is my recollection. Illinois had very poor sales. The grand champion steer at the Illinois State Fair Junior Show would be would be uh, would get five hundred dollars. It's what it used to be. Yeah. And when I would print something ne- negative about about how poor they, they were treating the Junior Show, why Tom Dubut he was a from in in charge of shows and fairs for the Ag Illinois Ag Department. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And he would take he'd take uh, it to the fair board or even possibly the direct director of agriculture. But Tom Dubit, he was he was the superintendent of of the county fairs, and so we talked about that the other day. But he was very much pro showing cattle or or you know uh, cattle livestock mm-hmm. exhibitions. 
and he was very good for our Illinois County Fairs and so on. And he held that job for quite a few years. But, but yeah, you. Well, I think from what I recall, Eldon, you had a you had like a, a little deal with questions on her. Are you in favor of this or whatever? But something had to be done to get their get their attention. You followed me, and and you did that. You know, recepted that they need to change something. Now I was uh, uh, at the at the state at the state fair, Illinois State Fair. Arlo Jansen was supposed to have been the judge of the show, junior show, mm-hmm. and there was an airplane strike on, and he couldn't get there. So uh, they asked Russ Brannon who they could get to judge it, and he rec- recommended me, and uh, and I did I did judge the show. The steer I picked was a. 54 inches in height. And I mm-hmm. had one person tell me that it was a he was a good steer, but he was he wasn't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, he'd and be a giant look, now. Look, look where we're at now. And after the show, there at the uh, went over to the livestock office to send to sign the records, and one of the one of the members that was, or fair board members that was there, he said, well, he said, that was a good steer. It's too bad it wasn't an Illinois steer. And I says, well, if you, if, uh, if you, uh, when you took his entry money, he became an Illinois steer. If you want to, if you want to, if you want the money to go to an Illinois steer, you should put the money on the junior show, junior steer, where it ought to be in well, the first like, place. And like the next year, the other day, it was on the ju- it was yeah. on the junior steer. That's correct. So, yeah. I think it was like is, nineteen. Now, is that where the Land of Lincoln steer oriented, or is that before? Has there always been a Land of Lincoln steer out there? Well, they've always had a Land no. of Lincoln champion steer. Well, I mean, they've had it. They pick a Land of Lincoln champion, but they didn't start selling them till just oh, I don't know, six, eight, ten years ago. They've been selling the, but they still don't sell the reserve grand steer. They get, they get a, some jackpot money or whatever, but they they don't they don't auction the reserve grands of any of the species off the, the Land of Lincoln champions and then the overall champions. And see, the problem with that is if a Land of Lincoln champion should happen to be grand overall, uh, it leaves a void spot in the in the sale. You know, they don't, to me, if it's not that often in the cattle thing, but like in the hog deal, a, a purebred barrel could win and, and be a Land of Lincoln pig, win the whole thing, and then they don't have a sale slot for, they're missing a, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so they ought, to, they ought to put in there, the reserve grand in the event that the land of Lincoln champion wins the whole thing, they should sell the reserve grand animal, regardless whether it's a crossbred or, you know, but that way they keep their, their sales slots full or completed. So this land of Lincoln steer, uh, it was a steer that Todd Caldwell had. So he worked real hard, raised money more than they had ever gotten for a champion steer price for the grand champion steer because they they couldn't have a 
a steer that that was that had gotten beat in 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 actually in the show. So go to Kansas, yeah. and they they had uh, the Kansas uh, State Fair steers uh, were not very. Uh, they didn't get many entries. In fact, there was there was only 35 steers shown total shown at the Kansas State Fair one year. And the people that won, Darla Mossberg, said surely there was something they could do. So they they put together a called some people and formed a committee. Larry Gluey. And he was on the committee. And anyway, they put together this this committee and and uh, planned a what they called a, a grand drive sale, and then have a gala. I attended that. Uh, some of the ladies had evening gowns on, pretty well managed. But they had contacted people that might be interested in being buyers. They went from very little to ten thousand dollars for their champion steer. So it was just a matter that when people get get dissatisfied enough, they start looking around for ways to make things better. So in Wisconsin, Extension wanted to wanted to take forty percent of the sale gross to use as they as they determined. They didn't think that that was fair. I published articles in support of uh, changing that, and and uh, they they did get that changed. And the people that ramrodded that really was uh, was Gary Findlay. He was an auctioneer, and Bob Johnson. Gary was one of the people that, uh, like every good auctioneer quality of enthusiasm in their voice. When he would start to cry at the sale, they pick right up on it. And they did present me a a plaque in appreciation of of what his what I helped him accomplish, I guess. Alright, well thank you very much for joining me today, Eldon Miller and Bill Elliott, telling the story of the National Livestock Exhibitor. It's been a truly interesting and fascinating conversation. And Eldon, this has been a, an 80-year story, telling your story. Thank you for uh, telling it here on the Big Show Podcast. We'll see you guys.